All right, now let's talk about the message this morning. You guys just watched a, a really brief video ident- identifying why we give. And of course, if you'll remember, last week I started a series that was uh, specifically on the issue of stewardship and the call that God has given to us. And today I want to talk a little bit about why we give. What is the purpose behind it? And uh, as we do, I'll start with this image. Uh, every one of us has probably seen the television commercial by Capital One where they pose the question, what's in your wallet? Of course, their intent is to suggest that we would be better off with their credit card in our wallet. But the intent today is rather to make it clear that what is in your wallet has the power to change the world. But in order for that to happen, we must be willing to invest it in something that truly matters. And that investment comes through giving. Several years ago, I was in a meeting with a group of other pastors talking about how to increase giving in churches. The speaker said that our goal as pastors and church leaders was to make giving easy and fun. When he said fun, everybody kind of looked at him like he was crazy. Like, how can giving be something that is fun? No one in their right mind thinks of giving as fun. Giving means giving up something that has been hard-earned. At least that's the way we've thought. Well, the Bible actually talks about fun giving. In fact, I want to look at a passage today that talks about it. From 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 6 through 15, and I think it will be on the screen behind me here. It says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Obviously, that is a passage that deals an awful lot with generosity and giving, and we're going to kind of focus specifically on one verse, but before we do, I want to take a look at verse 8. It's not going to be in your notes. It's not something that necessarily you would look at and say, okay, I see this is point one. Actually, it's not even one of the points, but it's something that speaks very powerfully to me. In verse 8, it says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. 
so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What I would suggest to you today is that God clearly desires to bless his people. He desires to work through his people and to generously meet not only our needs, but the needs of others through us. But let me begin by suggesting that many of us settle for receiving God's blessing in different ways. Some of us receive God's blessing almost like an ice pick in moments of crisis. In moments of crisis, we seek the Lord's blessing or we choose to bless others like an ice pick. In other words, we chip away at it, getting just enough to satisfy us for the moment. We want God's blessing and the moment our need is met or the moment someone else's need is met, it's time to stop chipping away at it and let's move on. Others treat generosity much like a sponge. We want to enjoy God's blessing and we want to give to others, but we have this mentality that I'll be generous, but only after God blesses me. We have to soak in as much as we can first, and then once we get full, then we'll allow some of what has been soaked into us to seep out, much like a sponge. And then there are those who see God's blessing not as an ice pick, not as a sponge, but rather as a wellspring. They want to experience God's blessing as much as the next guy, but they want it so that they can immediately begin to pour that blessing back into the lives of other people. It acts like a wellspring with a continuous flow from God through us into the lives of other people. I want to go back and read that verse to us one more time. And God is able to bless you abundantly, not just in their moments of crisis, not just after you've soaked as much as possible in, but he wants to bless you abundantly so that you can have that continuous flow of blessing so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What a beautiful image that is to us, that God desires not just to bless us. I think one of the mistakes often we have made in the body of Christ is we have given this idea that if we give, then God will give you more and stopped at that point. He desires to bless, but not just so that we can have more, but rather so we can give more. He wants us to be that wellspring that allows the, the, the blessing to flow into us only to continue that flow and not stop at us. That is the abundant blessing that God has offered to us. Now let's get into my sermon. Sorry, all of that just to uh, drive something home that I just felt really impressed about today. Our text today says that God loves a cheerful giver. Literally, in the Greek, the word for cheerful is hilaros, which is the same root word that we get the word hilarious. So literally, this text is saying that God loves a hilarious giver or one who is having fun as they give. That is our goal to make giving fun, to be able to enjoy it. How does that even sound possible? Doesn't that run a little bit counter to everything else in our culture? You can't expect us to really think that giving is fun. Making giving fun is simply counterintuitive to everything else that we've been taught, everything that the world teaches us. But isn't the whole of Christian life somewhat counterintuitive? Think about it. We give up our lives to Christ 
so that we can gain our freedom. That seems really odd. You'd think that you'd want to gain your life so you could gain your freedom, yet instead we surrender ourselves to him so that we can be set free. So why would it surprise us that one way to have fun in this life is to give generously? Think about your own spending. Don't you spend some of your money to have fun? We play golf, we go to the movies, we go to the pool or Six Flags, or we go to the beach or the mountains or wherever else you want to talk about. We do all of these things, and what are we doing? We're actually having fun. We are spending our money to be able to enjoy something else. Yes, but giving away money, is that really fun? How can that be fun? I'm going to tell you this morning that I have discovered that giving can be the most rewarding experience in the life of any individual. Giving can absolutely be fun. And as such, I want you to be able to have fun and to enjoy life. So how can your giving become fun for you? First of all, when you see that your gift really does make a difference. One way to view giving as fun is to realize that your gifts go toward something of value. How is money you give to the church spent? I want you to hear some of this today. Your money supports, first of all, missions. The background of this text is the offering that Paul was taking up for the poor people in Jerusalem. It was, in effect, a missions offering that he was seeking. The Corinthians early on stated that they would give. However, the gift was not yet in the mail. In other words, they had good intentions, but they had not yet acted upon it. So Paul is writing to get them to fulfill what they had promised. Think about all the missions that we do through this church. Obviously, we have several full-time missionaries that we support. Uh, We support them throughout the world, some serving even in places where we're not even allowed to mention what they do because they run the risk of being punished, arrested, or sent back home. But we also have the privilege, not just of dealing with missionaries overseas, but even sending out missionaries directly from within this church. And without the generosity of people like you, that would not happen. I think of Brian. That would be Kadar, Brian and Andrea. That would be Kadar and Paula's son. He and his family are now serving as missionaries, partially because they saw mission work as vital to fulfilling God's great commission. It began in the local church. It began with individuals who loved the Lord and wanted to see the message of Christ presented all over the world. It wasn't something that was optional. This was the call of God to go and to do mission work. They learned it from you. They saw your generosity and your faithfulness to supporting missions, and they are following the example that they saw from you first. But it's more than just holding a missions conference or having a missionary speaker come in for a Sunday. As I look back over the past 22 years of pastoring, I have found that short-term mission trips can be the most valuable experience in the lives of young people and adults. In my first youth, youth ministry experience, we were blessed to see nine individuals or families go into full-time Christian ministry. That's impressive when you consider the fact that the size of our church never exceeded 130 people. Well, understand that as I look back, I believe the greatest thing that helped point those individuals into full-time Christian ministry was actually them participating in short-term mission trips. 
Every year we were very intentional to take people on a mission trip. There was one year that we weren't able to just because of some issues that came up. But every year there was an intentional effort to go. We went to places like, we went to inner city places like Philadelphia. We went to poverty stricken towns like Rodell, West Virginia. We went to Indian reservations in South Dakota. We went to Jamaica on a regular basis. Actually, I've been to Jamaica seven times, primarily with the youth and the young adults of our church in North Carolina. And as I look back over those trips, the goal was to make a difference in the lives of people in those particular areas, in West Virginia, in South Dakota, in Jamaica, or wherever else. The goal was to make a difference in their lives, yet most often we were the ones who came back changed. Most often we were the ones that benefited as much as they did. In fact, I wonder sometimes if we didn't benefit more than they did. Often it was those experiences and missions that opened up doors for other people to truly respond to God's call in their lives. And the same thing ought to be true for us. Some would say that those are just vacation trips. We're just going to do some sightseeing. And I will confess that usually when we went on these trips, we found opportunities to also enjoy the culture. But nobody would suggest that working in Haiti while it's 108 degrees is a vacation. It's probably not the most enjoyable place that I would go. Actually, I can remember us, so we took a trip to San Antonio, Texas to do a mission trip. This was when I was pastoring in Colorado. There were about 40 of us that went from the church, and we went down to San Antonio, Texas. We were going to run a vacation Bible school with them. It was the first week of August. I will tell you, whoever planned the trip to be the first week of August in San Antonio, Texas is a fool. It was actually me, so I guess I can say that. We get there and it is literally 108 degrees. And of course, the kids down there are somewhat used to it. I say somewhat used to it because I don't think anybody really gets used to 108 degrees. But we get there and the first thing one of the kids says is, you guys want to come outside and play basketball? So at 108 degrees, we've got all of our teens out there playing basketball in the heat until one of them actually almost passed out and then it was time for us to quit. Nobody would call that a vacation. We were there to minister, to reach people for Christ, and to do ministry that perhaps they weren't equipped to do without the help that we offered that week. But I will tell you that that impacted those young people more than you could ever imagine. Missions is so important in the church. I've had individuals who have asked about doing mission trips here at the church, at this church, And we've actually had uh, several individuals who have asked specifically for a trip to Haiti. Uh, Haiti is a great place. Several individuals from the church have already done ministry in Haiti, and it provides an open opportunity for us to connect with contacts that we already have. I've been there three times. I know that the Sextons have been there. Mark Payne has been there. There have been several others who have been there. I'm using this as a chance to plant seeds. There is a time that is coming either in late fall or in the winter, which would probably be a good time for Haiti, where we would like to be able to go and take a mission trip to Haiti. And we would like for you to be a part of that. As you give to the church, you're supporting mission opportunities like that. But it's not just what happens outside the church. Sometimes it's what happens in this local community. Ministry. Think about all the cool things that happen in this place. You give to support that. The gift you give comes right back to you. Two weeks ago, I highlighted a couple of ministries that are coming up in the near future. 
I'll just touch on two of those and then I'll touch on one other that has already been active. First, it's been a blessing to hear the overwhelming response from the church regarding the new service that we will be starting. And what I love the most is that it's not just about what this will do for me. Certainly there are me blessings that are associated with this. Some people may like the style of worship better in a service like that. Some, the schedule will work much better for them as it'll be a slightly later service and maybe we don't want to have to get up early on a Sunday morning. Although you get up much earlier for work, just to point that out. But the primary response that I've heard has displayed a heart for service. People are asking, what can I do to help? How can I be involved? What can I do to serve in this ministry? The root of this is that people are saying they want to give of their time and effort to reach people for Jesus Christ. It's not about themselves. It's about reaching people in this community. And the end result is that we realize that through our giving, whether it be time, talents, or treasure, we can make a difference. The other one that I'll mention that I also mentioned a few weeks ago is the addiction recovery ministry that we're looking to start up. I told you that I have a young man coming in April who has been in a Christian addiction recovery facility. His picture, I think, should be coming up on the screen here in just a moment. Maybe. Maybe not. There it is. He will, be, he will have been clean for eight months by the time he gets here. His name is John. You can, continue, you can begin to pray specifically for John. But as he comes, we as a church will become his support system. We will love him. We will mentor him. We will attempt to provide ministry that will help him to never go back to his old way of living. Well, apparently some of you have shared with others that we're looking to start an addiction recovery ministry. Because I have been contacted multiple times just over the past two weeks by individuals wanting to connect family members to an addiction recovery ministry. I'm telling you, this is a desperate need in our community. Now, one of two things has happened. Either it just happened to be people began to call just randomly right after I mentioned we were going to do an addiction recovery ministry. Or some of you have already told other people and you know that the needs are very much present here. We have the opportunity to pour into these individuals to help them grow, to experience freedom like they never have before. Jesus Christ is their only hope of ever being set free. And we as a church have the opportunity to show them that, to introduce them to this incredible love, but also the freedom that he gives. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, and he needs to know it, and they need to know it. So we have the opportunity as we give to invest in the lives of people like John, to be able to help ministry take place. The only other ministry that I'll add this morning is one that we've been doing for many, many years. It's our midweek Awana ministry. It was a great joy for Greg Seegers to step into our Wednesday night adult service this past week so that he could share a problem with us. Now, I know it seems odd to use the word joy and problem in the same sentence, but this is a good problem. What's been happening is through the Awana ministry, we are reaching more and more kids. And what's happened is there's one class in particular that started off the year with between three and four kids. 
However, now they run about a dozen kids, and the adult worker who has been working with those three to four kids is a little bit overwhelmed. And we need more individuals who will step up, will understand this, our time, our talents, and our treasures must be given to God. And as we do, we have the opportunity to invest in those children, to be able to see ministry take place for them. The third one I'll look at, and this is a brief one, but maintenance. I know maintenance is not something that has wow factor, but when you invest in the church, you invest in the maintenance of the church. Would anyone like to be sitting here without air conditioning or heat? Actually, I heard individuals this morning who thought maybe we didn't have the heat on, but I'm hot up here. I don't know if you guys are. It takes money to build buildings, to maintain them, to provide the utilities the way they are. We enjoy them, but we do have to pay for them. Every month, most of us write a check for our rent or for our, uh, for our house payment. We seldom complain about these as we love our castles. We pay utility bills and we love the services that utilities provide. We do complain about them sometimes, but we're grateful to have them. It's no different at the church. While maintenance support may not be exciting, our facilities allow us to do more ministry. Supporting the maintenance of our church supports the mission and the ministry of our church as well. The last one I'll add in this is it does also support ministers. Now, doesn't a lot of our money go to pay salaries? The answer is absolutely yes. In fact, in most every church, that will be the case. We pay our staff a salary that is consistent with ministers. None of them are going to get rich off of what they do, but they are not going to starve either. So yes, we do pay our ministers and staff, and that includes me, and I'm very grateful for that. But consider the value of having staff that loves you. By the way, thank you for that amen. <laughs> when, <laughs> when a crisis comes up in your life, does your congress, congressman come to visit you? Does he stop by the emergency room to spend time with you, to check on you, to pray with you? Probably not. Instead, people from the church do. Often, the pastor will. I love the fact that I'm not the only one who does it. When I go to the hospital, I will tell you, let me just confess, I'm not as good at pastoral care as some others might be. Pastor Wiggins, for example, I will tell you, I was in college where he was the pastor here, and he was a model of what pastoral care is supposed to be. I mean, he loved people so much, he would spend time with them. And even if he didn't know you, he still would be that guy who would make you feel like you were family by the time he got done. And it didn't matter what hour of the morning you called him, what hour of the night, what hour of the day. It didn't matter because his heart was to minister and he just had that gift of pastoral care. He still has it. I go to the hospital to visit people. I remember on one occasion I went to the hospital to visit, uh, it was Rusty Harris's dad. And I went to visit and the first thing I heard was, oh, you're the fourth pastor to come. And, and then they began to call out. It was Pastor Don, it was Pastor Willett, and it was Pastor Wiggins. And I look and I think, that's what's supposed to happen. I understand that that is probably not my greatest strength, but I don't have to do that alone because there is a whole church that ought to be doing that. I ought to participate in that, but I should not be the only one doing that. You support me in that, and I am so grateful for that. Another way to help giving become fun is to realize that your gift really does return to you. Look at the promises that are contained 
in these verses just briefly. Then consider as much as you can other passages. Think back to in your mind. Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Give and it shall be given unto you. That's a promise from God. There is a promise that if we choose to give, that there will be a response. There is a blessing that comes back to us. Malachi 3.10, I will open the windows of heaven. Malachi chapter 3 is very much about us giving, not robbing God, but generously giving. And he says, I promise you that if you test me, if you will do this, I will open up the windows of the floodgates of heaven. The point is not that we will be wealthy or that we should give in order to get. It is simply the truth that giving leads to receiving. Let me close with an idea that came from yesterday's Generosity Encounter seminar at Southern Wesleyan University. One of the principles that was shared related to the motivation that people have in giving. Why do we give? The speaker said that there are four types of givers. And you can, as I share these, consider which one you are. By the way, I'm not sure that necessarily one is better than the other, except at the very end. That is the one that I believe God probably seeks the most. First, he said that some people are called me-givers. They be, that is because they give specifically when it benefits a ministry that will touch them. Some others will give to help others. And what I mean by that is these are the ones who typically step up to the plate when there is a crisis like an earthquake or a tsunami and the Red Cross is making an appeal or perhaps there's an issue with water up in Michigan, in Flint, Michigan, where the Wesleyan Church has stepped up to try to help meet that need. There are all these needs that arise and in those moments of crisis, we, are, we become others givers. Our desire is to give so that others can have needs met. Again, not necessarily a bad thing. Not necessarily a bad thing to be a me giver. I want to give to something that will actually affect this ministry because that affects me. I want my kids to be able to benefit from this ministry. So in that aspect, that's a good thing. It's good to give so that others are helped. It's a great thing. While it makes an incredible difference, rarely do these me or others givers... Rarely do they give sacrificially, but rather they give out of their excess. And then there are those obedience givers. These are the ones that we think of as tithers. They are faithful in their giving. A tithe is a tenth. It's what God calls us specifically to give. But there is typically a cap to what they will give. We look at a tithe and we say, well, I did what I was required to do. I obeyed. It's not about generosity, but it's about obedience. And then there's this last group, and this is the one I want to challenge you to actually consider. Maybe this is where we ought to be. And this is the surrendered giver. This is the one who still practices the obedience of tithing, but they are willing to give beyond that as well. They practice the tithe, but when they see that others need, they say, you know what, I think that it's possible to support that. When they see that new ministry and they think, you know what, this is going to affect my family, I will invest in that. The surrendered giver is one that their heart is not about just obedience, but it is about generosity and faithfulness. I wonder which category do you fall in today? Also, which category would God desire us to be in? To answer that question, let me show you something from Acts chapter 20. It's Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. 
He knows it's probably the last time that he's going to see them, last time he'll be able to speak with them. So he points out to them the things that are most important. Listen to what he says. This will not be on the screen behind me, beginning in verse 32 of Acts 20. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now remember, this is his very last address. The last time he would be able to speak with the people of Ephesus. And as he addresses them, he has to think to himself, if I am going to give them one last word, this is going to be the thing that is most important. It almost seems like maybe there are two thoughts that he gives them, but I want you to consider that there's actually one complete thought. He begins by saying, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. It all begins with grace and it ends with grace. He wants them to understand that you must depend on this grace. He gave them an example of what it is to serve. He worked hard. He was generous to other people. He was an example of how they were to live. And then it almost, almost sounds like he's saying at the end, oh, and by the way, remember what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. No, it's not a separate thought. He is associating the act of grace God giving to us with the responsibility for us also to give to others. He is connecting the relationship that we have with God, the intimacy that we experience as we grow in our grace, when we grow in his grace, it becomes far more natural for us to give generously because it is he who dwells within us. He who gave so generously beginning with his son. As we experience more of Christ, generosity ought to flow out of us. I do call you as a church to be faithful in tithing. I do call you to be faithful in responding when there are needs that other people have and we can meet those needs. I do call you as a church to invest in ministries that will affect you and your families. More than anything, I call you to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Because as you experience that, generosity will naturally flow from it. Some people think the church is all about money, but what I just told you is completely contrary to that. What the church is about is a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we develop that, the money will take care of itself. The generosity will be a natural outflow. I hope and pray that that's your condition today.